There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where do you want? Where are you from? Why do you hear? This is a priority. Our priority today... I did, that didn't sound right. <laughs> Let me try that, again. that was a lot of R's. That just have, <laughs> you didn't do your vocal exercises yeah. first. Oh my god, communication, dude! Like <laughs> you can tell, we haven't been lecturing in classrooms for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Our priority. <laughs> now we got laughter. Breathe it out. Breathe it out. Our priority today is minutes forty-one through forty-five, which begin with the kangaroo story that just began at the last end of the last segment, and we have a guest. Comedian and podcast socialite Alice Lauren. I love that. I, I love that title. Hi, <laughs> that's great. You know what? I'm I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and she loved this film. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I was ready. I was I was ready to talk. Yeah. And then I saw what minutes we're covering, and I'm like, thank God, <laughs> it's the best five that's minutes good. of the movie. <laughs> what else would we give you? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about that now or save it? Talk about why Alice hates this. Film. Yeah. <laughs> why do yeah. I hate? Let me just. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Do we want to start with? <laughs> yeah. Start Let's start yeah. on a negative. Yeah. Start Let's with the negative and then make it better. Let's do it. Yeah. Um. Actually, yeah. That, that's true. That's true. No, I mean, I saw this for the first time yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's not really my kind of genre. You know, sci-fi fantasy isn't necessarily my thing. I mean, I love the Marvel movies. Maybe a little bit of the DC movies, but we don't really talk about that. But so, so like, like a little bit, you know, I'll watch. But this isn't necessarily my type of thing. You know, I, I decide, okay, I'll, I'll give it a chance. But then from the beginning, where the colonel just kind of busts in and he's like, "Hey, translate this alien language. You know languages." I was like, "That's not that. Nope, that's not going to be it." Uh, <laughs> And then when they tried, to, and I, obviously by the end, I realized why they had to have that love story. But I was like, okay, physics guy, languages girl, he insults her life's work. Oh yeah, match me in heaven. No, thank you. That was dumb. I was like, they just stuck that in there. They didn't need that. I think the most unbelievable part of this movie, and this is what I think you guys can <laughs> debunk this, is... When, I'm sorry, I don't remember any character's name right now. Oh, Louise. When Louise walks into the lecture hall and none of her students are there. That's the most unbelievable part of this movie. Like, she wouldn't have known. (laughs) She wouldn't have known. Are you saying her her walking in was was unbelievable? Or the fact that the students weren't there was unbelievable? That that she wouldn't have known, like... Okay, yeah. like like Like, you don't know how many students are gonna... Either, you know, students, whatever, they, sh- they show up to yeah. class or they don't. But it was just kind of bizarre. And then I, when I was kind of researching further, and I'm like, oh, but the janitors were all there for some reason. But <laughs> just, just, just to straighten things up. But yeah, that was the most unbelievable thing. Or it's like no teacher would walk into class and no one was there. Like they would kind of have a bit of a heads up. 
I don't know. The aliens, sure. Well, she even did. She walked past a crowd outside the classroom first. Yeah. And then just goes in anyway. Well, I think it's really cool and interesting, the comments that you made from a feminist perspective. As a person who's always, like, feminist critiquing films, I think the fact that this film just has so much language and communication stuff that my nerd English slash com teacher brain gets so filled into, like, analyzing everything from that perspective. And then just the philosophy time perspective, which I'm also really into. But I think I just overlooked, like... I didn't watch the film from that angle, so now I'm curious to rewatch it and as a do like rom-com? a feminist critique on it. As yeah. a rom-com, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, of course, like they couldn't just be friends. Maybe you know, grow to respect each other as colleagues and friends. No, of course not. <laughs> well, either way, as a rom-com or growing to respect each other as friends, I mean, they do become a couple because of plot reasons mm-hmm. for later. We could have used more of that, maybe. Maybe. My problem with that part of it is it doesn't really exist for most of the film. And then at the end, it's like, well, we went through this thing together. We might as well be together. I mean, he's always like, like checking on her. And like when they had the, the, the concussions after the explosion, he's like, mm, yeah. you know, where is she? And she's like, where is he? So, I mean, there, there's a little bits there. When he looks at her a lot, there's even a moment in this segment where like he's watching as she's getting her suit on. So they, he was doing something. And then that that crazy voiceover in the middle of exposition. Oh, the exposition. I kind of like exposition, but this was just bizarre. This process was was interesting. Like, they kind of told us more than showed us. Oh, yeah, he has a moment where he explains stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, that's going to be fun to cover. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about that part, too. Yeah, I haven't watched the whole movie since before we did the first episode, which is now a few months ago. So, I guess we can get into the, the kangaroo story. Because she started last time with Captain James Cook's ship ran aground off the coast of Australia, and he led a party into the country, and they met the Aboriginal people. One of the sailors pointed at the animals. I would interrupt here because it wasn't one of the sailors. It would be his chief botanist, who, coincidentally, was has the last name Banks. Same as Louise. His name was Joseph Banks. Pointed at the animals that hop around and put their babies in their pouch, and he asked what they were, and the Aborigines said kangaroo. At this point, Ian looks up. He's paying attention. And we get a shot of Weber as he asks, and the point is, and Louise says, it wasn't until later that they learned that kangaroo means I don't understand. Which also isn't technically true, even within the story itself. It wasn't until like decades later when a different scientist went there and got a different word for those animals that he decided that word meant I don't understand. Because they're talking to different tribes that speak different languages. But that messes with the point of her story. Ian's putting on his watch, and Louise says, so I need this so that we don't misinterpret things in there. Otherwise, this is going to take ten times as long. And that's how she finishes the story. I feel like I'm kind of circling, like, what her, what, when she says, like, well, that it's not true, but it proves my point. I feel like I'm kind of circling kind of what that point was, that, you know, you can <laughs> kind of say anything, but pe- people will, will believe you if they just, you know, if you just act confidently and pretend that you're right, people, you know, just kind of that. I don't want to say communication breakdown, but just it's just interesting. I was trying to figure out what, what the point was, I guess. Well, first, the story itself is not true. Right. While they may have said gangaroo for the answer to the animal, that actually is the gugu yumitir word for a specific type of gray kangaroo. That would have been probably the tribe they were speaking to at the time because they, they were on the East Coast near what's now Sydney. The generic word for any kangaroo would have been minha, that's the one they gave Captain Philip King decades later, which he wrote down as Minua. 
That word also doesn't refer to a kangaroo. It refers to edible animals. So he asked what that was, and they basically were like, yeah, you can eat those. (laughs) So neither trip got the right word, but the story continued that kangaroo meant I don't understand. And Louise explains in the original story that she tells that story in her introductory course every year. It's almost certainly untrue, and I explain that afterwards, but it's a classic anecdote. It's basically kind of a linguist joke. Yeah, and this is not the only version of this joke. In Ken Jennings' blog, he said, The misunderstood I don't know story is a bit of a trope from the age of exploration, um, what he refers to as exploration, we might also refer to as colonization, depending on perspective. But there's an almost identical story about where the name of the Yucatan Peninsula comes from. There are plenty of true stories about stuff that got weird names because early explorers were lousy with indigenous languages. Canada, for example, comes from a Huron-Iroquois word for village. In 1535, the Jacques Cartier expedition was told by locals about a route to a single nearby village, and they took the name to refer to the whole region. (laughs) Um, Jacques Cartier, excellent navigator, not a very good listener. I think part (laughs) part of the purpose of this is just parables and narratives and the place and the role that they have in communication, and I think that's the argument that the film is trying to make, because entire our religions our societies everything is based on these shared parables and these Mm -hmm. shared narratives and it doesn't really matter what the literal truth is there are a lot of people who follow christianity even um islam judaism other major religions and they don't necessarily even though their adherence to the religion don't believe that every single story that happens is exactly the way it was told the parables and the narrative but if you know the parable (laughs) you can figure it's like my reference last week to the episode Darmok of Star Trek Next Generation, where if you know the examples they're saying, you have an idea what they're talking about. But if you don't even know the words, you aren't going to get anything. And it doesn't matter if it's true necessarily. It matters if the two people talking understand it. Exactly. So the purpose here wasn't to tell a true story. It was to communicate her argument in a way that he would let her do what she needs to do. Yeah. (laughs) And if she had told Weber even before he walked away that it wasn't true, it still would have made her point because... He didn't know whether it was true because he doesn't know all the details about words. He's trusting her to do her job. So he should let her do her job. Yeah, we, we believe experts anyway. I mean, I would have believed her. Well, we would hope Weber does because that's his job. Yeah, right, right. Whether or not we believe them. Right. <laughs> and he tells her, I can sell that for now, but I need you to submit your vocabulary words before the next session. And she says, fair. And he has a great line coming back to your colonization comment, Sarah. And remember what happened to the Aborigines, a more advanced race nearly wiped them out. I put in my notes, more advanced, i.e. privileged and genocidal. Yeah. (laughs) Advanced is subjective. Yeah. What do we consider? Under those circumstances, he's essentially, I don't know who he's saying are the Aboriginal people here. I think (laughs) think that. He's got to hope the aliens are. The aliens will will take over and, yeah, and smite them all. (laughs) If they're, they are apparently more advanced they have ships that fly with no apparent engines they have doors that just open into solid walls they he's he's losing he's operating from a losing position here yeah but he's also just the middleman so he just has to sell what she can explain away to everyone else and then he immediately just walks out anyway this conversation and louise takes a breath Runs her hands through her hair, and she steps aside so the shot doesn't have to change so we can see Ian behind her, which is nice framing. Ian says it's a good story as he gets up, and Louise says thanks. It's not true, but it proves my point. And she walks away. 
and Ian watches her go. So there's one of those rom-com moments. I want to see this like as a trailer, but just total rom-com, just cut together. Just all, just all of their meaningful glances. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, I bet somebody made that on YouTube. Every like <laughs> movie, every that, show has the whole just like right? you know five minutes of clips or whatever uh-huh. of them looking at. With it. that, probably exists. They, yeah. her, her and the alien put their yeah. tentacle and hand up. You know? <laughs> now, Ian and Louise do get a little bit more here in the script that isn't in the film. He says, don't let them kill your buzz. And he grins at her. She grins back. And Louise says, not a bad day. He says, I want to call everyone I know right now. Do you realize how many arguments this settles? Seriously, who would you call and brag to? And Louise's smile vanishes. Because as we know, this movie is implying that she's still grieving from losing her child. And Louise says, I don't know. The script says, Ian gets he's touched on something, but he doesn't know what. And he just says, oh. And if anyone is interested in watching the Louise Banks and Ian Donnelly story, there is a six-minute YouTube video of their scene. Yes! Send it! Thank you, Internet. I'll do that, yeah. In the movie, we cut to a crowd, including Louise and Ian, looking at something. We don't know what until it cuts to five alien symbols on the wall, and they are human, Earth, something that isn't on the official list for the movie, that one from last time that has Abbott's name on part of it and then something else, and then another one that isn't on the official list for the movie. So there's some extra symbols here that weren't in the official group. And the word human with a question mark in English. I love that they made up a whole language for this film. Yeah, they even, it has logic to it. She comments on a curl later saying maybe it's a question. They do have a rule for what makes it a question and make up like the correct things when they have a sentence about louise the symbol for louise is on one part of the circle and then there's other words on the other parts yeah and if anyone's interested in that i know there are youtube videos i've shown them in class before on the language development in mm-hmm. the film and also um game of thrones yeah there are language videos for how they yeah for dothraki and mm-hmm. whatnot then louise enters the main computer room the uk screen is up on the big screen because someone's talking to that guy and he says, we think we're we're able to reproduce some prime number sequences back at them, so that's something. And I don't think this voice sounds like Ian, but he's the one talking to the guy, so it must be. He says, well, congratulations, you're a parrot. And you, oh, you, yeah. It, it sounded like Halpern, but he's not over there. He's over at the other side of the room watching the news. We'll get to him. The UK guy says, it's a lot. More than that, you cheeky bastard. Don't you see? They can't seem to follow our algebra, but complex behaviors, that clicks. That's actually a major element of the short story that doesn't get into the movie very much, is that the aliens understand more complicated things and not simple things because of the way their brain works. Well, such as kind of evolution, like how we don't have to really memorize things today or simple way. Like you don't need to know how to cite a paper, just use a yeah. citation maker. Mm-hmm. But you do need to understand more advanced concepts. But then you need to know how to <laughs> access a computer, get onto a website, which is arguably more complicated. Yeah. So I don't understand. I feel like the, the countries were all kind of sharing with each other their findings, but then later on they didn't want to share with China, and there was just a lot of like shutting down. Yeah. Obviously, all, all the disconnecting. It's it's a gradual. At this point, it's only been four days since the aliens arrived. This is the fifth day, right? I think that's what the news says later. Yeah, day five. And so. At first, everyone was talking to each other because no one knew anything. And then as each country figures stuff out, we know Russia has been mobilizing military units. We saw that on the news coverage. Mm -hmm. And now China is doing the same. 
something has happened in those, which we'll get hinted at later when they talk about how they're teaching them language, where they're using chess or mahjong or I think that's a really good point that you brought up, like the relationship between communication and power, because they're all trying to communicate with the aliens, but there's already this complex political just environment between all uh-huh. of the 12 planets involved. And that's such a huge part of communication, you said right? Planets. Like, pla- wow. I meant countries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off on another planet today, but <laughs> just the, that there's all of this context to communication. So yeah. it's not just the words. It's not just the language. It's not just the nonverbals, but everybody who's communicating is bringing in like a, a worldview, all the conversations that happened before, all the politics that it's happened before. It's just so layered. Like there's already all of this history with these 12 countries. And so that's going to influence how they perceive the interactions both with the aliens and with each other. And communication and power is, well, power is something that's studied quite a bit in communication. Authority and power nearly always play a significant role in any type of communication, the impact of authority and power is likely to increase for the better or the worse in cross-cultural communication. In most cases, authority and power negatively impact the communication process. And just some ways that power is expressed in communication, the language used itself. Like there are certain words that people in power will use against people not in power. Like you can talk to an employee different than an employee can talk to a manager. And they're not going to have, they should have the same rights, obviously but they're not going to. Sharing and withholding of information, people in power tend to have more information, and when they decide to share it or when they decide to withhold it is an exercise of that power. You have physical space itself, how power is communicated, like who has the nice corner office versus who's working alongside, you know, 10, 12 other people in an enclosed work area. I mean, even in a like to use a political example for today, Representative Cory Bush said that Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene was threatening her. Cory mm, Bush is yeah. a black representative and Marjorie Taylor Greene is white. Cory Bush said that Marjorie Taylor Greene was threatening her maskless, both face to face and also harassing her on social media. And Cory Bush, fearing for her safety, had, had to, to move, move her house. office. Yeah. So the person who was doing the, the victimizing, the person who was doing the abusing, because of power imbalance was was forced to move. Mm-hmm. And then the last example for now is just chronemics, which is a study of time, which obviously comes up quite a bit in this film, but time in terms of power. So if I have a meeting with my boss and the boss is 15 minutes late, no one's going to say anything. But if I'm 15 minutes late, then I'm maybe yeah. going to get in trouble. So I just think the relationship between communication and power and having that layer of not just communicating with the aliens, but all of the power structure within the film of the countries communicating. Yeah, th- at this point in the story, it's still all going pretty smoothly. The various people are talking to each other. Weber is talking to the higher-ups, and we don't know what he's saying, but he is getting things done because Louise and Ian get to go in again. That dynamic has not been messed with yet, although it will as things go on. We see that Ian is talking to the guy from the UK, sitting at the front table. He says, well, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? And Louise walks up and hands him a paper. There's interesting shooting in this scene because when Louise goes later into the next room, I was like, how is Ian in there? He was just sitting over here. (laughs) But you actually do see him in the background walk out of the room carrying the paper she just gave him. So whatever she gave him, it was useful. 
But we're not focused on that because we're looking at the news coverage and her talking to Halpern. Because then Louise walks over next to Halpern, who's watching the news on a different monitor, and he's getting off the satellite phone. He says, problem is not everyone shares our policy of being open with the aliens. And we see on the news coverage, it is Alien Crisis, Day 5, MSBC, 3.35 p.m. Mountain Time. China urges caution, amasses forces at Shanghai site. I would point out, because I like picking out the errors, this location on the screen of where the alien ship is, is accurate to the coordinates that they put out as promo material for the movie, but is not accurate to the poster, which we talked about many episodes ago, of the alien ship basically being right in the city of Shanghai. It's it's actually like 100 miles off the coast by the coordinates and their maps. Which So there's naval ships next to it, and we get a shot of a naval fleet as well on this news coverage. And as Halpern says, have you met General Shang? We see a photo of General Shang on the computer. Then he says the call sign for him is Big Domino. Whatever Shang does, at least four other nations will follow. Getting into your power dynamics. Louise doesn't have time to respond to this because Weber approaches. He says, Louise, we have to gain ground today. She says, okay. And there is more of this conversation in the script because Colonel Weber says, This morning, the Korean team wheeled an exposed engine block and a balance scale into their sphere, and Japan is using music somehow. Louise says, maybe they're getting desperate and playing show and tell without learning the language. Weber says, maybe that will work for them. We need to gain ground today. You have your vocabulary list for me. She says, I do. It's long. And I don't know how long we'll have in a session. It's just interesting that they're trying different strategies mm-hmm. and then kind of like convening versus like, hey, everybody, <laughs> you know, try the, you know. Which would be really nice if they kept sharing the information. Yeah. Well, you're right. Yeah. Like kind of what, not why are they sharing information? Obviously, you know, you have the freedom to try different tactics and, and, and see kind of like it's, they're sharing information, but it's also like a little, well, <laughs> kind of literally a space race. Interesting. Still a competition. It's also weird in the script here because Lieutenant Marks tells her they leave for 13 hours. We haven't figured out how to keep them longer, but she already knows this. They told her that several scenes ago, and they've also already been in the ship multiple times. So she knows that it opens up and then it closes at a certain time. They have a little over an hour. In the movie, we don't get to see how long this list is. He only mentions a few of the words that are on it. He says, you have a vocabulary list for me. She says, I do. You're going to teach them your name and Ian's? She says yes, so that we can learn their names if they have names, and then introduce pronouns later. And Weber says these are all grade school words. Eat, walk, help me understand. What, is, what does he want them to learn? Like, onomatopoeia? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> yeah, I will agree with you here, Alice, in that this line is, is pretty ridiculous. I mean, yeah, what would? how else would you do that? If for no other reason, you would want to make sure that you can communicate clearly words like eat and walk before you would even get to any higher level or mm-hmm. thinking type words. Because if you're not able to even know that you're communicating or sharing correctly, obviously the likelihood of miscommunication yeah. with mm-hmm. bigger words with more meaning is going to be that much greater. But on top of that, just time. I do agree with some of Alice's critique in that it is silly in terms of what they think they should like, what, is, what do they think she should be teaching? Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with the part of, like, him showing up in the middle of the night expecting her to do that, because I feel like a military guy would totally just show Especially up at a woman's movies, door and be trope. like, yeah. Show up and demand. <laughs> but- yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
I just thought, like, it's not, you know, ancient Egyptian. Right. It's something they have never seen before. And also, here's a recording. Like, there's no reason she should ever... I mean, I think seeing the processes throughout the, the film, then I'm like, okay, this is how they're going to do it. But it's like, there's nothing to... She can't study old, you know, scrolls or anything like that. When so. you mentioned yeah. ancient Egyptian, that reminded me of Stargate. They come and ask him to translate something. He's like, I can tell you what it says. I can't speak it. Because until he actually goes to a place where someone speaks it, he doesn't know what it sounds like. Because we didn't, they didn't write down their vowels. These aliens, she can't reproduce their voice in the movie. In the story, she tries. She's not very good at it. They don't understand her. But she's not going to make the noises we've heard these aliens make. Mm -hmm. And so they... Which also sounded like a dog. I'm like, someone just captured a dog (laughs) on their little ring light. That's it. You know, it just was like, it's an alien. No, it was barking. Like, just... (laughs) Yeah, I don't... They want... She gets, I mean, we're going to get to her diagramming a sentence in a moment, but mm-hmm. they want complex things now. Yeah. They're short. Yeah. He's, he's like, short-sighted. They don't want he's teach. like, okay, but how do I ask purpose? I don't, I don't care what they eat. I don't care what yeah. they, can they walk? Can they eat what our names are? No, I want to know the purpose. So I get that, like that, that mindset a little bit, but. Well, well let's get to her sentence. Cause mm-hmm. she grabs a marker from the table by Ian goes to the whiteboard. I love that. She goes to her race stuff. And he's like, no, 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 not the top. But already, this board has writing over writing. This is a messy board of things, because they haven't been erasing. And all she erases is a sentence in the middle that's not even math. Then she writes, what is your purpose on Earth? She doesn't even immediately add the question mark. She makes a point of that. And she says, okay, this is where you want to get to, right? Weber says that is the question. She says, okay, so she adds the question mark. says, first, we need to make sure that they understand what a question is. She circles the question mark. Okay, the nature of a request for information along with a response. Then she underlines the W, sort of. And she says, we need to clarify the difference between a specific you, she puts brackets around the word your, and a collective you, because we don't want to know why Joe Alien is here. We want to know why they all landed. And she crosses off R on your, then circles it. And she says, and purposed requires an understanding of intent. We need to find out. And this is where Ian gets interested, which is I like. Do they make conscious choices or is their motivation so instinctive that they don't understand a why question at all? And, and biggest of all, we need to have enough vocabulary with them that we understand their answer. So, yeah, that's, this basically the whole point of her being there is this scene. I love this for so many reasons. Uh, Just this part. (laughs) First, I. So badass. Yeah. I love that this question is written on the board in the midst of a bunch of calculus. Because most people would look at calculus as indecipherable and look at language or the sentence as simple. Uh-huh. I think the fact that placing it there in the middle of all that calculus shows there's a ton of complexity and confusion just that can be derived in this one sentence, the, just the complexity of thought in a single sentence. And the fact that that sentence is, what is your purpose on Earth? Which essentially, like, I know it's really cliche, but that really is what drives all of us. Yeah. Learning, loving, connecting, and figuring out what our purpose actually is. And a lot of our anxiety depression comes from feeling like we don't know what that is, or we're not living what that is. So, and often just the tools used to connect us like language often disconnect us. There are limits to language and how how meaning can be derived from it. But yeah, I just love the complexity and I love the visual of it being there. It's also possible this math actually defines something very simple because there's stuff about like gravitation and something else written down at the bottom. This might be very simple calculus that means a very finite thing, whereas her sentence means everything. 
exactly. purpose and defining the difference between a singular you and a plural you is a big deal. And she's right. Weber's wrong. <laughs> and just to punctuate it really nicely, as she puts the marker down, the alarm sounds, uh-huh. which means probably as a 15 minute warning, because that's what we heard last time. And Weber says, I get it. Stick to your list. Just don't add anything. Now, I believe it's here in the script that he does add a word to her list. And we don't see what word it is. I'm pretty sure it's weapon because she says that might go badly if like that. I, I, I didn't put it in my notes because it fits a better scene, a later scene better. But I think he writes weapon. They're trying to figure out something about fighting. I don't know. But here, no, he lets her have her list. He lets her go be the teacher that she is. And then we cut to Louise's hands shaking again as she's in the dressing tent. And a tech helps her put her orange suit on. Ian's sitting there watching her. We get a wide shot of the two of them. And then the control room with Halpern and others watching. And we see that Weber is not going in the ship this time. He's sticking back at the tent. And then we go to... Yeah, we're behind Weber where they're already in the ship. As we hear Alpha saying uh, something's at 2.97, oxygen level 21.4% over. Condor Alpha's now in the nave setting up equipment and telemetry. Although I would point out that on the screen, they're already in there. Because the canary cage is already down on the screen that Weber's watching. And Weber says, let's get started. And we cut to Louise writing on the tablet. She writes Louise. And before she writes that, I just like the scene. Like where you have the the screen, essentially, right? When we're watching the aliens, it's like we're watching the movie screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're sitting behind Weber. And then the space suit. It's just like the communication is through multiple layers literally but it's representative of how our communication just has to filter Mm -hmm. through so many different layers to be understood Mm -hmm. so it's a cool visual just the symbolism of the layers also in that simple question of what is your purpose on earth you have to go through so many different levels just to be able to communicate that yeah as soon as they put on these suits i'm like i know why y'all decided to talk about this movie because (laughs) i i wear or I just was wearing, you know, gowns and things like that at work. And I mean, this is this is quite a pandemic movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of things we've we've talked about the pandemic a bit in some of the earlier episodes. And how is that? I mean, you don't have to talk too much about this because it's a personal question. But how is that for you? Like, have you seen a lot of change in mm-hmm. regulation or just your function and being able to do yeah. your job? Yeah, I mean, I work in a nursing home doing recreation and activities and everything. And, you know, we're at a point where relatives can't visit their families. Like, it's really whoever, I mean, I basically, my job is to keep my residents happy. And so it's, it's definitely been an interesting challenge without doing group activities, you know, with a lot of, a lot more sanitizing and, and all of these things, like we become their family. So it's, it's definitely been very, very different. So I would imagine that would be one more physical labor for you just in terms of keeping yourself and keeping the residents physically safe, but also more emotional labor since they're not able to communicate with their families and you becoming more their family that that's... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to transition back to aliens from that. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) I mean, I guess uh, total, not off topic, but, or maybe on topic, I don't know. But I, just about that canary, which I know is kind of a, or not, I don't know if it was a canary or not, but the canary in the coal mine yeah. idea. But was it behind the barrier? I know it was to test 
like atmosphere, but I thought it was on the same side as the people, so I was confused. It's we talked about this when we first saw it, but it is essentially on the side where the people are because yeah. it will die faster than they will if there's a problem with the air. Oh, okay. Because its lungs are smaller and it breathes twice as much because mm-hmm. it, it will it breathes on its inhalation and exhalation at the same time it takes in oxygen. So if there's a problem with the air, the canary will die and they will have a chance to run or probably get air masks oh on because they probably have extra oxygen to pump into their suits. But they'll know something's wrong. Now, Louise writes Louise. She points at herself, says Louise. Louise, I am Louise. And we get a shot of the heptapods through the glass. And I don't know which is which yet. They haven't even named them. But the one on the left writes human, or the alien symbol for human again. And Ian says, what is that? Is that a new symbol? I can't tell. And Louise says, in the movie, she says, I don't know. I think it's the symbol for human again. It just has a little curl on the end. Maybe to indicate a question, I don't know. In the script, she actually is more sure and says, I think it's a symbol for human with an extra curl for a question. Like she is guessing already. This is them asking, do you mean human? Although the symbol on the thing is not a question. It's just a symbol for human because the way they designed the language for the film, a question would have a long part of the symbol going into the center. We will see that later. Were the names for the aliens always like that in the script? Because that was one moment where I was... I mean, obviously, someone wrote this movie, yeah. but it was just that moment where I'm like, man, this is the writer. It's like Abbott and Costello, what? Oh, yeah. I don't know how old he is, 40-something-year-old man, <laughs> or I don't know, 30, 40-something-year-old man, was like, oh, Abbott and Costello, oh yeah, perfect. No! Where did you pull that reference out of? <laughs> That's so weird. No, like... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Do do young people now know who Abbott and Costello like even I, are? <laughs> like I know them, but you just you know you just don't pull it out at random moments like that. <laughs> like I just, I mean, I guess sure, but yeah. I, like, <laughs> so who would the modern equivalent be? Uh, right, <laughs> Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. No, they're a little too similar. It'd be more like um, <laughs> who's in Tommy Boy? Be those ah, two where it's like the bigger David one. David Spade and the uh, yeah. <laughs> Chris Farley. So it'd be like Spade yeah. and Farley. Yeah, I like how I remember David Spade. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Although these two aren't even that different. They're not clearly an Abbott and a Costello. Mm-hmm. One seems slightly narrower, but <laughs> I think I was just making that up in my head to fit those names. <laughs> They're mostly identical. Maybe. <laughs> so Ian says, I don't know, Louise. I think they're getting confused. The word human dissipates from the glass, and we hear Weber over the radio say, Dr. Banks. Perhaps we should move on to the next word. Weber is not very patient. He should not be watching this live, I don't think. No. And that's when Louise, we see Louise standing there. We hear the canary again, and she looks down at the canary in the cage. We get a wide shot as Louise, another one of those movie shots where it's like the screen and people like silhouettes in front of it. Louise looks back toward the glass, and then we get a shot of Louise close up as she starts to undo her suit. And this segment ends with Mark's. Realizing what she's doing and starting to move from where he's standing by the camera to stop her. He says no. And that's where that one ends. So why do you hate this film? (laughs) Why do I hate this film? I don't know. It just, I don't know. It was, it was just bizarre. And then the time thing, I'm still trying to like grasp that like she didn't lose her daughter. She just knew that she was going to meet this man and have a daughter and lose her to cancer, I would assume. And it, it just, yeah. It's kind of like the bigger question. If you knew the decisions that you make were ultimately 
going to lead to heartbreak or like would you choose to do it anyway which i think has also been covered in other films yeah but also just the kind of cool philosophical idea and maybe i like this film because it's something i've thought about a lot Mm. but just the fluid nature of time like time not being linear and like everything that ever existed exists at the time of recording this this is something i talked about in like annihilation yesterday like Mm. annihilation minute about the other how time exists and it's us dividing it into parts that turns it into what we experience it as the aliens don't experience it that way and so they don't have to think about simple math or other basic stuff. Their brains work differently than ours. They process time. They process their existence. And the fact that one of them is going to die later isn't making them sad because that they know before that's where this ends. Yeah, just kind of this idea of time being a human construct, or at least our perception of time. Which will be interesting later <laughs> in the film when it is Ian, who is the physics guy, who has a problem like feeling that. So is it the idea that things are kind of just meant to be, or that there's some things you can change? Because then I wonder, well, why couldn't Louise just, you know, maybe not tell Ian later on, you know, when, when she says like, like, like why they broke up in the first, like why they <laughs> broke up in the first place? I guess. Yeah. Like she, she doesn't have to reveal. Well, it. this this will come up a lot. She can't tell him, or they won't get together. I mean, after they're together and have a baby. If they don't get together, she won't have the daughter, so the daughter won't die, so she can't yeah. tell them that the daughter's going to die. Mm-hmm. It's it, it it's but not necessarily meant things? to be. No. Because oh. that's not how it works. And so it comes down to her understanding of time changes so that that's not how she operates, which is why I actually like one of the major changes they made from the original story is that mm. the daughter dies from cancer. In the original story, she dies from something that is very preventable. She dies in a a climbing accident. Mm -hmm. And Louise very easily could have been like, no, you're not going on that trip. Yeah. (laughs) She dies from cancer. They can't stop it, even if they maybe even treating it early because they know about it doesn't help. Mm -hmm. And so it's inevitable. And it comes down to it's why I like time loop movies and time travel movies is Mm -hmm. you're all going to die anyway. Mm -hmm. You're saying, would you know, would you do what you're going to do if you know it ends in heartbreak? But everything ends in heartbreak because everyone dies. Yeah, and that's kind of the the larger point, right? That is one thing that we are certain of. We are mortal. Yeah, we are all going to die. We are all going to face the same end. Either the people that we love are going to go before us, and we're going to have to live without them, or we're going to go first, and they're going to have to to live without us. But either way, like no relationship that you have, no, I mean, you're going to have to deal with that at some point. For that matter, it's possible. As you're saying, Alice, maybe her telling Ian was her attempting to change things. She warned him ahead of time. Yeah. Maybe in the first place, he would have left anyway because he just couldn't deal with the grief ahead of time of their daughter dying. Yeah. Like, children dying messes with marriages all the time. It's People deal with tragedies different ways. Yeah, if she didn't tell him or if she was like, oh, I know I'm going to be marrying this guy. Nope, I'm not going to marry this guy. And then, yes, she doesn't get the daughter, but maybe she'll have another daughter. Like, that's why I'm kind of like, there's so many things you can... But then, from her perspective, it comes down to she has to marry this guy because she has Mm -hmm. to have that daughter because she remembers and loves that daughter. Yeah, that's true. Even before she has her. Yeah. And because everything already exists anyway, we're just perceiving it differently. But it really, then that just gets back to a basic, like, free will versus determinist argument which is the age-old philosophy which which will come up later is i think this film skirts that fairly well in that she we don't see much of the future Mm -hmm. so we don't have to deal with that debate or she doesn't we don't have to watch her to deal with how do i fix this how do i stop her from dying 
the movie stops before we get there, which helps. And why could she always see into the future? Like, that's just how she always was? You're <sighs> just a psychic? Well, that comes down to that, too. If she perceives time differently, it's not that she always could see into the future. It's that some part of her could always experience the future the same way it experiences the past and the present. Mm-hmm. They all just exist. And maybe that's what the aliens taught her. And the aliens just ident- intensified it, yeah. Until she's actually near the aliens, she yeah. doesn't realize that that's real. Oh, okay. So before it was just like, the editing of the film suggests she does already know this daughter. She does already recognize Ian and recognize what's going mm-hmm. on. But maybe she doesn't realize all of these thoughts she's had are real and doesn't. Because memories aren't complete until you think about them. Yeah. And then they are reformulated every time you think of them. So now that she's thinking about it, this is maybe why her hands are shaking. She's her she's changing right here to realize all of this stuff that I remember is real. It just hasn't happened. Yeah. And she's probably struggling because her thoughts in this point could be, how do I make sure this doesn't happen? But that's not the point. Anything else? <laughs> I know it sounds such a That's sad. A lot. I like sad it. No, yeah. Um, on that note, or no, not on that note. Yeah. On a positive note. <laughs> on a positive. Uh, if the listeners wanted to hear you again, where can they, uh, you know, follow you and find out what? Else yeah. Um. Well, I I believe my Twitter is at Pod Socialite. You can find me there. I'm on the Now You've Seen It podcast. I'm a panelist on there. We're currently on hiatus during the pandemic. So hopefully not too much longer. Um, I'm participating in the best years of our lives podcast thing. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. you can explain what yeah basically yeah you're on one of my episodes. What is that? Yeah, on yours. I'm recording with the wonderful Curtis Blaze as well. I do a lot of these really fun movie by minute podcasts. I love it. And if you want, since I mentioned it, I'll say you could listen to Annihilation Minute still every Thursday, dealing with memory and time and identity and. Lots of fun, serious stuff. And you can listen to Life as a Playlist, my top 40 music show, which I have a lot of autobiographical story, also social and political commentary, just whatever I feel like doing on that episode. Follow my show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, that just happened. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 5 Minute Arrival. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. to think this was the beginning of your story.